Please be seated. In the case, uh, Her Majesty the Queen against Daniel Brunel, Mr. Nicolas Abrin for the Crown, and Mr. Alexandre Dubois for Daniel uh, Brunel, responded Ms. Marie-Hélène Giroux. Uh, Ms. Uh, Mr. Abrin. Chief Justice. Honorable Justices, uh, good morning. Today, the appellant will divide its plea into two, and I will demonstrate that the uh, majority judges uh, put aside the evidence, and I will also look at the uh, standard of reasonable reasonableness, and then my colleague will go on to the unreasonable verdict. Further to a, uh, a crash a, on uh, the date in question, the uh, uh, the respondent uh, was stung to the core, pulled out a knife, and then there was a verbal altercation. And uh, there was no harm done to the respondent, and the latter was then stabbed, that is, uh, the complainant, five times. And there were further uh, numerous surgeries. Astonishingly, for uh, the majority judges, this was, uh, uh, the man was uh, vulnerable and terif terrified, even though he stabbed the complainant. Uh, these versions are at the very heart of today's case, but they should not, it should not be so, because uh, the trial judge did not believe, uh, did not uh, uh, believe the credibility of the uh, respondent. What about the nurse Couture's uh, testimony, who confirmed that when uh, the uh, that when uh, Mr. Brunet got out of the uh, vehicle, he was calm, and yet the complainant was the one who was agitated. What Ms. Kutzil said is that uh, the respondent, rather the driver of the pickup who had a trailer, was a little bit uh, uh, irritated that uh, yes, the complainant was more angry than the respondent, but that's one person's testimony. The testimony of the complainant and his son were not set aside. Both the son and the father mentioned that the respondent was angry, that he was aggressive, and the son said he was not calm, no. And I can refer you to the evidence if you wish, uh, Justice Cote. My colleague. I'd like to follow up on my colleague. Ms. Couture testified as to the suddenness or the rapidity of the event as well at page 105 of volume four. She says very clearly in response to the question of the Crown, uh, can you uh, evaluate how much time this event lasted, how long it lasted, and she said it wasn't very long. And if we look at the uh, disagreement at the, in the appeal court, that's where uh, Justice uh, Judge Belanger, in paragraphs 39 and 40, she put her finger on that very point. She singled it out. So uh, just to follow up on what my colleague Justice Cote said, Yes, uh, Ms. Couture testified that the event uh, lasted about two minutes. And we argue that it's not because uh, that something happens rapidly, and that's a question of perception in any case, that self-defense would apply automatically. And uh, my colleague will uh, come back to that. But with regard to the facts, what uh, we need to know, and uh, that we're referring to kill here, is that uh, it's, we're talking about the role of the person uh, under 34.2 of the, the criminal code, but I'm talking about the entire, entire event. So when there was uh, the traffic accident and uh, 
the respondent said he was insulted by the complainant's behavior. Then he said that uh, he was scared. He stopped at the red light to, to chat. And then they stopped in the parking lot. He didn't call the police. He left his phone in his truck. He took his knife and he headed towards the complainant and uh, for the appellant. This uh, entirety of evidence, this uh, set of facts, uh, justified the trial judge's ruling that uh, Mr. Brunel was aggressive and uh, that the punch that he received during the verbal altercation, well, that he swore twice, Mr. Brunel swore twice at the complainant, and when he received the punch, he said it didn't hurt him, but then he stabbed the complainant. So, yes, sure, he got punched, but when you get punched, of course, uh, that goes very quickly. And uh, we argue that the trial judge was certainly aware of the rapidity because that was uh, pleaded by both parties and both witnesses uh, mentioned that. But Ms. Abrant, that was not uh, referred to in the trial judge. The question of rapidity or suddenness or the time elapsed between the attack and the retaliation, what uh, importance that has uh, before uh, we can invoke self-defense or vengeance or revenge. Answer, she does not mention, no, the rapidity of the retaliation, I agree, but with regard to, to the rapidity of the altercation overall, she uh, relies on the testimony of Stephanie Couture on page 7 of her ruling, and she mentions it, uh, there that it lasts less than two minutes. And at that time, she uh, keeps, she has kept in mind the rapidity of the reaction. Now, Mr. Brunel did react very rapidly with uh, the, his uh, knife attack, but his version is not credible. And that is why the, justice, uh, the judge can take into consideration that uh, it, Mr. Brunet is not credible. And that this means that the stabbing and the rapidity of the altercation are factors that uh, should be taken into account, but they should not uh, have resulted in the conclusions of the, the findings of the trial judge being set aside. And in our opinion, in paragraphs 43 to 46 of the appellate ruling, it does not allow them to review all of the factual findings. Just to compare the majority judges at the appeal level and the dissident, the dissenting judge, what I understand uh, from the reasons of the dissenting judge uh, uh, Bachan at 66, when he talks about the rapidity, he says, uh, the events in the file do not allow us to conclude that the judge did not take into account the swiftness of the altercation. And we are referred to Husson and Nicolaisen, which says that uh, this does not uh, uh, demonstrate a reviewable or advisable error. And so we're taking for granted that uh, the judge did take that factor into account. That's uh, my position. That's your position. Yes, because that uh, came up as a plea. So these are motives that need to be taken into account, uh, presuming that the judges are applying the law and uh, that they are well aware of the evidence, uh, absent error. The judge refers to the entirety of the evidence in the ruling, and that was clear. No one was challenging the rapidity of the altercation, how fast everything happened, and therefore, of course, it was taken into account. But since she did not believe Mr. Brunel, and according to us, she did not make a mistake in that regard, then she gave precedence to the testimony of the complainant and his son, except with regard to the shoving uh, as opposed to the stabbing. And therefore, the respondent, uh, we know that he moved forward in a spirit of vengeance. He was angry and he wanted to attack them. So that's the trigger. 
And so the element of vengeance was all were, uh, was already there. And his utterances has said that, uh, you know, I feel like uh, a pile of shit, excuse the expression. And so he was angry and scared. So in that context, it, yes, of course, a stabbing will happen quickly, always. And, uh, or rather, the punch was very rapid. And of course, the retaliation was rapid, too. So Mr. Brunel got a punch. He was a little bit uh, shaken, but he wasn't hurt. But then he came back and he stabbed someone. He stabbed the complainant. So it, at the trial, he said, well, the complainant... Uh, uh, basically impaled himself uh, five times on the knife. Now, it is in that context that uh, we consider that the judge did take into account the rapidity of the altercation she had to, because both parties uh, brought that up in their plea. And uh, the witnesses mentioned it as well. It's just that what was decisive for her was the innate aggre uh, aggressivity of uh, Mr. Brunel because he moved towards the complainant with a weapon in hand. And so, if uh, that responds to your questions, I would turn uh, the I would turn uh, the floor over to uh, my colleague, Mr. Dubois, who will refer to the unreasonable verdict. Thank you. Mr. Dubois. Oui, donc, merci beaucoup. Thank you, uh, Chief Justice. Uh, good morning, Honorable Justices. I will come back to, the, uh, to what uh, Mr. Abran said about the rapidity of the altercation, and I will be basing my plea on uh, three things. The proportionality, it's con the, the consideration, uh, the rapidity of the altercation, with, uh, as it concerns uh, the Tran ruling and uh, the error of reality test and its impact on the consideration of the unreasonable verdict. You asked my colleague about how we should consider the rapidity of the altercation and something needs to be added here. Signs of aggression are shown from the outset on the highway, in fact, and shortly thereafter, when the vehicles pulled over at a red light, already at that time, uh, the respondent said that he was afraid that the complainant was going to uh, come out of the car and attack him. So from that perspective, this uh, has already been shown and we can extrapolate the uh, time frame to infer the uh, mindset of the respondent. Now, obviously, the vehicles pull over in the parking lot. The respondent uh, leaves his phone in the car. And uh, once again, if we uh, consider his testimony, he has his knife on his belt. But is, that is rather strange because, uh, the, uh, because he, he takes it off his belt and uh, carries it in his hand. And that is uh, central to the ruling of the judge. There were okay. four questions to uh, show the anger and the aggressivity of the respondent, which brings uh, us to, which brings her to, um, to the uh, idea of uh, an eye for an eye or vengeance. So with regard to the defensive purpose and uh, a, avenge, a uh, avenging purpose, what we would point out here is the issue of provocation because the respondent uh, said that he lost his calm and but that does not apply under 30 under section 34 so the majority judges of the appeal court talk about the rapidity of the altercation obviously we do not challenge that obviously more time the more time that elapses between a threat and uh, the retaliation, obviously, obviously if the altercation is over, and then all of a sudden the respondent then attacked the uh, complainant, then that would clearly show vengeance. But the uh, defense of self-defense has uh, have been shown in uh, rapidity, uh, in, area, in, in cases with rapidity. So 
the judge really had to distinguish between these two things. It wasn't simply just the rapidity of the altercation. It was also the fact that he was provoked and then he reacted. And insofar that he was uh, stung to his core, he was insulted by uh, what the uh, complainant and his son said. And we can understand that uh, uh, the fact that uh, he was sworn at, that uh, really stung him. And he did have his uh, knife in his hand. And so we can infer his intent. And therefore, there was... Uh, you... They talked about intent. What do you have to say on the comments of the majority judges with regard to uh, the supposed uh, error of the, the trial judge at uh, paragraph 51 when the majority judges say it is thus surprising to observe that uh, the judge criticized uh, the appellant to, uh, for having uh, intended to hurt the uh, complainant because uh, it was a defense of, of uh, self-defense. That is what that is. So this is the motive instead of the test that uh, helps us understand that. As uh, mentioned by uh, Don Stewart, what do you have to say about that? Answer. I agree 100%. We cannot uh, mix up uh, intent or, and motive. And here I would refer to uh, the defensive intent, but what I would respond to is, is specifically is that uh, insofar that we're talking about an eye for an eye, then the, uh, for example, I attack you, you attack me, I hurt you, you hurt me, so, uh, this is uh, a matter of uh, compensation, so that is why I do, am, I do not agree with what the majority judges at the appeal level said, because uh, the because of the re respondent's utter the utterances against the respondent, and so the the and so this is uh, not part of the context of self-defense because here what we're talking about are two punches that did not hurt the respondent and all of a sudden he responded with uh, by stabbing the uh, complainant five times. Two inferences can be drawn and the, the dissident judge mentions them. First one being the less uh, a punch hurts then the less the person feels the need to defend themselves and the lack of proportion which allows us to infer persistence and to infer from that the anger of the respondent. Question, so for you the number of knife thrusts is what leads you to conclude that, he, that the intent was vengeance? If there, what if there had been only one knife thrust? Answer, then I think we would be in a different case. We'd be dealing with a different case sincerely because the rapidity of the events, I don't think we can separate these things out. Everything cascaded from one thing to the next. We're talking about five knife thrusts here. If there had only been, it had, had he only been stabbed once, it would have been a different case. But we have to look at the whole of the evidence. The fact that the altercation was already, had already begun at the red light, that the insults were being used. Question, but the fact that he took his knife that may also only demonstrate an intention to defend himself. The fact that he took out his knife is not necessarily equivalent to the intent to avenge himself. When you talk about the number of knife thrusts, that goes to the third factor, proportionality. But when it comes to his intention, did he want to avenge himself or did he want to defend himself? The fact that he took out a knife. If you see two people moving towards you who are yelling and who seem angry, that could also only simply demonstrate uh, an intention to defend oneself. Answer. With respect, given the appellant's utterances, I don't think this was a matter of simple self-defense. If you look at the care decision, there was no association between a knife and a wish to avenge oneself. But here, clearly, in asking the four questions, the judge in her decision rejects 
the pretext of self-defense, especially when on page 109 and 110 of volume 6, during the cross-examination, he explains why he had taken out his knife. And he states, it was better to be armed than to be unarmed. He never says, uh, I wanted to use it to defend myself at that point. So he's, he's already got a knife on his belt. He's already armed. He did not need to, put, to take it out and hide it and go uh, bef into a dangerous uh, situation, his, uh, leaving his cell phone in his, in his vehicle. So was that the only conclusion of the judge? All of those elements led to a reasonable conclusion by the judge. So we don't think there was a palpable and overriding error, as indicated by the majority in the Court of Appeals. So, of course, we agree with, uh, Justice, with Judges Bachon's dissident position. I'm not sure if that answers your question, Justice Coutet. Yes. So that dynamic of give and take, according to us, which are reflected in the trial judge's words. And we can see that the analysis of the credibility in her decision is central for two reasons. We can see that the trial judge has set aside Mr. Brunet's testimony, uh, citing its contradictory nature, and also because his version keeps changing as, the, as questions are asked of him. And those elements allowed to moderate Mr. Brunel's words when he told the court that he intended to defend himself. We can see why the judge did not believe everything he said and didn't think that everything he said was sincere. Now those conclusions were not attacked by the majority judges, although they were central to her decision, especially as on the trial judge's part, uh, she took utterances, his utterances into account. And in Canada, we've codified the uh, necessary self-defense. But so when he says, I didn't turn the other cheek, I, I didn't allow them to go further, then that signals some intention on his part, as he says himself, which shows that Mr. Brunel was angry. Which brings me very humbly to my third point, which is the air of reality test. In each step of her analysis, the judge uses the three criteria of self-defense to decide whether or not the air of reality test was met for each of the criteria. And it is specifically mentioned, she did not need to assess credibility. So there was no error in law in that respect. The first criteria. Criterion is met, therefore, and is not challenged, therefore, she's, and then she talks about the second criterion, and that's where it becomes important because, she's, because she says that reasonableness has been acquired. So the second criterion, which is the intent to defend oneself, she said that, yes, there was a, a defensive intention by Mr. Brunel, but from that, when she reaches the third criterion, or the third test, I suggest that when we look at the whole of the motivations, she said that she took for granted the defensive intention of Mr. Brunel since that is what the evidence demonstrated in its best light. And so if you look at all of the motives, the subsidiary conclusion may be better reached, but you can understand the analysis of the proportionality which held a central place in her decision which means that she ends up concluding that the third test, reasonableness or error of reality, was not met. I humbly suggest that you had to reconsider the error on the defensive test that was uh, alleged by the majority in the Court of Appeal decision and that, it in fact, it did align with her uh, over overall conclusion. Considering her conclusion when it comes to the reasonableness test. On the second stage, for us, the decision clearly demonstrates that the error identified by the majority, if there was one, could not have had such an impact and therefore the appeal should have been rejected. Does that complete your arguments? Yes, it does, Chief Justice. I have an, uh, another question. In your comments, well, first of all, 
I believe the accused was sentenced, correct? Yes, he received a three-year sentence. So were the appeal to be granted, he would have to turn himself in within 72 hours, is that right? That is so. May I ask why 72 hours? Simply because, simply to give him enough time, would, uh, depending on the court's decision, but is that the amount of time that the Crown usually requests in, in, similar, in similar cases, to your knowledge? To my knowledge, at least in my jurisdiction, it is usually 72 hours. Sometimes it's 48. So no, there was no particular reason for choosing uh, the 72 hours as a time frame. Thank you. Ms. Giroux, Chief Justice, Justices, I would submit that to adopt uh, uh, Judges Bachon's position from the Court of Appeal as advanced by my colleague, Mr. Dubois, in, is in the end annihilating the legitimate, the self-defense uh, defense. And that is what the majority decided in this case. So it was one way to, to counter that defense. I also submit that nothing in the majority decision justifies the intervention of this court. The majority understood quite well the analysis that was required of the second criteria. I invite you to read the decision from paragraphs 30 onwards where the majority take up the very subjective tests so that the assessment must be done from the perspective of the accused only because now we're talking about the second test here. So proportionality, if you, if you don't mind, uh, Ms. Giroud, that's exactly where the problem lies perhaps is that she did not believe the accused. So if we look at the accused perspective, the trial judge sa says that, uh, points out that his uh, versions are contradictory, that he's calm, that he's taken out his knife, that it's a bit contradictory to say that. He, sa he also claims that the victim threw himself upon his knife five times. If you look at the decision it's in its, as a whole, she says, I don't believe, I do not believe him. It's true, she doesn't believe him, but the rest of the evidence, which is circumstantial, Madame Couture's testimony, did provide elements that could allow the judge to consider the accused's perspective, not simply his own testimony. And the Court of Appeal says so in paragraph 40 of its own decision that the trial judge's reason, reasoning is erroneous and unreasonable because she capriciously interpreted his, uh, Mr. Brunet's capacity. In paragraph 43, the majority states the judge could, with difficult, uh, it would be difficult for the judge to understand his point of view, which was in fact corroborated by uh, an independent witness who was Madame Couture. Well, yes, just so. And she takes into account that testimony and she looks at the testimony that says that he takes the knife out and puts it in his hand. Yes, he, but he could have taken out his knife not only, not necessarily to attack or revenge himself, but also to defend himself. He does find himself in a situation in which he's dealing with road rage and the complainant and his son were aggressive. There is also a context in which the son is participating in the struggle too. It says that he was, he told the police that he was thrown, the, the son said that he, he and his father threw Mr. Brunel to the ground. He found himself with his knee on his chest. And so what interpretation should be given? That there are five separate wounds on the victim. Well. That has to do with proportionality, Chief Justice, but when it comes to the intention, I don't think we can infer from the number of wounds the intention of uh, wishing to uh, seek revenge. Everything has to be viewed in its context. This is a man who's got, who, who feels frail, who's got heart problems, who's being attacked by two people, who's been punched in the face unexpectedly and suddenly. 
who's been thrown to the ground by two individuals and he himself and the court does repeat that that he knew no longer knew where he was he was disoriented so he he was striking striking out to try and defend himself and extricate himself from that situation and the court says that you can't impose a standard of perfection in assessing a situation the situation in which he found himself nor can one in an extremely stressful situation know how one would would react people can overreact and then we which leads us to the third criterion of proportionality I think that in assessing the second criteria and what the accused thought, I think everything must be taken in, in context. You can't isolate one thing from the next. You, when you, you, say, you may say, well, the punch that was thrown didn't really hurt him, well, but you've got, he was faced with two people who were violent and aggressive who threw him to the ground and jumped up on him. I don't think one can infer from the number of knife wounds an intention uh, to seek revenge but rather to defend himself can I come back to the Chief Justice's first question as to the respondents credibility and the majority judges statement in paragraph 53 where in the middle of the paragraph it says the error in principle in the decision as well as the reasoning error in, 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 in assessing the appellant's credibility when it comes to the second criterion. How can one interpret the reading of the credibility in light of our jurisprudence, even in the case of unreasonable verdict? as to the strength of a trial judge's determination when it comes to credibility. There, I think a court of appeal is in, is in a good position to review conditions when it, and conclusions when it comes to credibility if uh, it was based on erroneous or unreasonable position. And here the court says that the trial judge's understanding of credibility was unreasonable both in light of the testimony and independent testimony and I think that's what the Court of Appeal is saying here that not only were errors in principle committed by the trial judge but also the reasoning errors led her to assess credibility in a capricious manner. And therefore those are the errors that uh, but uh, excuse me for uh, for uh, cutting you off, uh, Ms. Giroux, but uh, with regard to the case law that you know well, even uh, recent case law, uh, GF, uh, CP, and before that, Gagnon, where it's more than deference, and uh, the dissenting judge in this case insisted on that so with regard to the uh, standard of review it's not just uh, the overall interpretation that is different what justifies the position of the majority uh, a court of appeal judges answer I understand that is that what I understand is that there was say an error of reasoning with regard to the credibility which uh, were the result of the findings of the majority judges and according to the majority judges who we understand their ruling and so the trial judge is being criticized for not having assessed for having assessed the credibility of uh, Mr. Brunel in a capricious fashion and uh, that is why the Court of Appeal, Appeal had the right to uh, review those findings. For example, if you look at paragraph 32 of the ruling, we see that the Court of Appeal comes back with regard to reasonableness. We have to consider the reality of the person being attacked, and I think that for the majority judges, the trial judge did not take into account the reality of someone who's being attacked. We understand that perhaps uh, she didn't believe Mr. Brunel, but the entirety of the evidence shows that this was a context in which Mr. Brunel 
defended himself. He used self-defense. Si if we look once again, uh, once again uh, at paragraph 32, the majority of judges come back to the fact that you can be uh, frustrated, you can be scared, and you can be angry, but that doesn't mean that uh, the person is uh, not credible. And if you, you look, uh, if you, to come back to credibility and the error of reasoning, according to the Court of Appeal, we uh, have uh, his inability to control his rage, which wasn't uh, supported by evidence. Uh, uh, the judge did not take into account uh, the participation of uh, Mr. Fugel's son and uh, neither did she take into account uh, how the area was uh, laid out. Uh, for example, the uh, Mr. Brunel was uh, thrown to the ground uh, close to a wheel, and uh, she did not take into account that he was uh, older, that he had heart, uh, he was tired, that he had heart problems. Donc, pour je... And therefore, all of the uh, those, all of that evidence uh, is what uh, brought the majority judges to uh, rule that there was an error of reasoning at the trial level. And uh, so there is all the independent uh, uh, evidence as well that supports. But the credibility of the appellant is uh, fundamental here, Ms. Giroux. When the appellant says, uh, I uh, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't uh, give any blows. Yes, but I would say that the trial judge probably listened to that and she probably said, does that make sense? Yes, but he didn't uh, just say that. Mr. Brunel uh, said other things as well. He said that uh, he felt that uh, he was in like a, in a washing machine on spin. He was disoriented. And so he didn't really know where he was, what he was doing. So all that uh, plays into the state of stress that he found himself in. So it is easy to say after the fact, well, uh, one should have reacted this way, but uh, when you're in a stressful situation, and I think that uh, uh, he was very uh, stressed out here, he, I think it's uh, difficult to remember what happened. And uh, the evidence is somewhat vague with what actually, what happened during the altercation, everyone uh, had a problem, had a memory problem. The complainant didn't remember, his son didn't remember things, and neither did Mr. Brunel, who said that uh, things were somewhat vague as to what happened. Alors on peut, uh... So, I would argue, Honorable Chief Justice, that it is difficult to uh, take uh, some of this evidence out of context to uh, make these arguments. Now, uh, about the reasons of uh, dissenting Judge uh, Bachan, I would argue that, especially at paragraph 59, Justice, uh, Judge Bachan said, well, if he'd been scared, he would have stayed in his truck. But uh, I think that even if... Uh, was insulted be, uh, on the highway before pulling over, obviously we might expect uh, the, uh, a fight to happen, an argument, but uh, you might not expect to be punched in the face. So I think uh, the fact that he didn't stay in his truck uh, it does not uh, undermine his credibility. Same thing at paragraph 60 when it was said that he took his uh, knife in his uh, hand, uh, Justice Cato, uh, Cote rightfully said, well, you can take your knife in your hand if you uh, want to defend yourself. Uh, to paragraph 62 of dissenting Judge Bachan, Mr. Brunet is criticized for uh, not turning the other cheek and uh, 
for trying to run away, but I think that case law is quite clear that he has no obligation in this regard, and that is part of uh, self-defense, uh, is uh, part of that is defending oneself. So uh, you don't have to back down, you can defend yourself. At paragraph 63, in the analysis of the uh, second uh, criterion or test, that's with regard to proportionality, and at paragraph 64, that he wished he hadn't had a knife, he regretted that uh, during the fight. So Elise. once the event was over and that he realized what happened, obviously he regretted that he had uh, used it, had his knife and used it. Ms. Giroux, do you think that Judge Bachat applied the correct standard here at the appellate level? I would say so. I'm just looking at the cross-interpretation of uh, paragraphs 58 and 69. At 58, he says, the question uh, that the court must respond to is not uh, to know whether that the uh, whether the trial judge could uh, could make only that finding. And then he continues at paragraph 69. He says, well, I conclude that the trial judge could have found uh, beyond a reasonable doubt that uh, Mr. Bunel had acted out of vengeance and not with a, a defensive purpose. Do you believe that this is a that this is a correct interpretation with regard to the unreasonable verdict uh, concept that's being uh, pled here. Yes, and I think that this is the standard that the majority judges applied as well, but for Judge Bachan, there was no palpable and overriding error on the part of the trial judge, whereas uh, that was uh, it was the opposite for the uh, majority judges, and the, therefore that justified their intervention. So, so you think that this was a different interpretation of the events? Well, not necessarily of the events, no. Of, uh, I would say that it was uh, two different interpretations of the evidence uh, and therefore of the ruling of the trial judge. So unless you have uh, any further questions, Honourable Justices, uh, that is, uh, puts an end to my arguments. Thank you. Reply, Mr. Abraham. Uh, <coughs> oui, merci. Thank you, Chief Justice. Four points to wrap up. First, my Honourable colleague mentioned as did the majority judges at paragraph 43 and following, that the respondent was attacked by two people. But uh, we feel that th that does not uh, issue from the evidence. First of all, this is a subjective analysis, and the respondent himself, in his uh, cross-examination, admits that at the time of the events, he was attacked by only one person, not two. He then modified his testimony later, but he originally spoke of one single person, and that's at uh, tab 10 of our condensed. And in the same vein, uh, the witness, Ms. Couture, who we feel has great credibility, said that the uh, son was not involved, he was a spectator and did not participate until later. That's my first point. My second point is with regard to the fact that Mr. Brunel was on the ground, he was under the wheel, and that the layout of the uh, area did not, allow, did not allow him to leave, and that uh, I believe it's at paragraph 46 uh, that uh, the judge did not take in, uh, into account uh, those reasons. But the trial judge, judge did not believe Mr. Brunel because in his video uh, examination, he said, I was standing up when I first uh, uh, stabbed the complainant. And so there was such a difference between the two versions that the trial judge did not believe him. So she did not have to take into account that testimony. And this is my last point. My honorable colleague argues that uh, the case law is clear with regard to the fact that uh, Mr. Boudin did not have to stay in his truck, that he 
did not have to uh, discuss anything with the complainant. Perhaps he did not have that obligation. But with, in light of paragraphs 44 with regard to the role of that person, he had to take into consideration how the situation evolved. He said he was scared and instead of taking a measure that was more defensive or safe by staying in his vehicle, he decided to get out and to head towards the confrontation. So I wanted to specify that because uh, therefore, uh, because I don't believe that case law doesn't address this. I believe it does because uh, we have to take into account the entirety of the, of the evidence. So those are the points that I wanted to uh, specify before wrapping up. If you have no further questions, thank you. Thank you to Council. I would ask uh, the Council to remain at our disposal. Thank you. Please be seated. The court is ready to rule. I would like to thank counsel for having appeared for their arguments. This is a unanimous ruling. The Crown uh, appeals in right a decision of, of the Court of Appeal of Quebec. It says that uh, the majority judges overstepped uh, their boundaries by reassessing the evidence without identifying any error in reasoning of the trial judge. The accused uh, claims to have acted in self-defense under 34 of the Section 34 of the Criminal Code. As this court, uh, this court uh, uh, set out in uh, R versus Kill, three um, elements uh, must uh, exist. Uh, uh, for this to uh, happen, and this is uh, the response, uh, the, the motive, the trigger, and the response. Uh, the court is of the opinion that the second uh, criterion of uh, um, uh, motive or proportionality uh, was not respected. Uh, the court uh, concludes, in light of its assessment of the evidence, that the accused acted out of vengeance and therefore finds him guilty of assault with the weapon and aggravated assault and pos possession of a uh, weapon with uh, a defense of uh, um, with a, uh, a dangerous purpose and therefore it, uh, it says that the findings of the trial judge uh, or rather, uh, Judge Bachin would have uh, rejected the appeal, concluding that the uh, trial judge uh, uh, calls a uh, ruling calls for deference. We are all of the opinion that the majority of the Court of Appeal was wrong to intervene in this case, and we in part share the motives of uh, Judge Bachin. When a verdict is handed down by a trial judge alone, there are two foundations on which the Court of Appeal uh, can be justified in intervening when the verdict was uh, unreasonable. Therefore, when the ver number one, when the verdict cannot be founded on the evidence, and number two, when it is flawed. 
because of illogical or irrational reasoning. When the unreasonable verdict is a question of law, the assessment of credibility is a matter of fact. The assessment of credibility of the witness by the trial judge cannot be set aside and only uh, unless it is uh, based on an unreasonable interpretation of the assessment of the evidence. Therefore, Judge Bachin, as, as he said, it is not a question of knowing as to whether the uh, as to whether Mr. Brunel acted, acted out of vengeance was the only reason. It's simply a matter of knowing whether the findings were based on the evidence and if, if it was exempt of any palpable and overriding error. Judge Bachin completes his ruling or his opinion by saying that the trial judge could have concluded beyond any reasonable doubt that the appellant acted out of vengeance and not with a purpose of self-defense. We all agree that the majority of the uh, Court of Appeal did not consider that uh, the trial judge assessed the reasoning correctly. It says uh, that she did not consider certain evidence, but uh, it did not uh, identify any palpable and overriding error in her analysis. By the simple fact that the trial judge uh, did not uh, analyze in depth uh, part of the evidence or specific evidence, this is not a sufficient motive to justify the intervention of the Court of Appeal. The majority uh, could not, was not allowed to simply substitute its opinion for that of the trial judge on the assessment of the credibility of the witness. In the absence of a reviewable error, it should have shown its duty of deference. And the majority of the Court of Appeal, uh, Appeal could not, not argue either that uh, the trial judge's opinion regarding the second uh, criterion of self-defense was uh, flawed by uh, uh, um, incorrect reasoning. A verdict can be said to be unreasonable if it is, if it is founded on illogical reasoning. If uh, the judge uh, draws conclusions that are essential to uh, the finding, here the, infer the in inference uh, of uh, the trial judge so with the uh, evidence um, presented. Her approach is coherent and is based on uh, evidence that is not contradictory or rejected. And for these reasons, we all agree to uh, grant the appeal to reestablish the verdict of uh, guilty handed down by the Court of Quebec and to order the respondent, Dan, Daniel Brunel, to turn him over to the prison authorities within 72 hours. The court is suspended until tomorrow. Thank you.